Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 43, South of the Border. Welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rux podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lanise. Um, so, fairly straightforward episode tonight. Um, you know, normally we would, you know, um, front load these with, you know, some artistic bios or like mm-hmm. a little bit of history or whatever. Um, not so much in this one. Uh, like we said last episode, we're going to continue on, you know, with the uh, the Dead Man Saga. We actually have a, uh, not a two-parter, but we're actually going to cover um, two issues because they're sort of like thematically linked. You know, we had talked um, at the end of the, the last Dead Man story we read, you know, he was sort of um, found a clue that was going to head him, you know, south of the border. To um, Mexico. To Mexico, exactly. So, you know, uh, tonight's two issues are, are both going to be, you know, in that sort of setting. Um, with regard to creators, uh, there is going to be a transition, but we're not actually going to talk about it tonight. Um, you know, we had in our last episode, whatever, talked about the artistic purge and, you know, one by one, right. all those creators going to the wayside. Um, well, Jack Miller, you know, who had been both writing and editing this Dead Man story, um, we had talked a while back about how he gotten fired, you know, yeah. for stealing artwork or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's actually going to happen, I think, in between these two issues, like suddenly... He's no longer the editor, and Neil Adams actually takes over the writing. Um, so there's going to be a little blurb in the second part about uh, the introduction of uh, Dick Giordano, but um, we're not actually going to um, you know, cover uh, Giordano's background at this point. I think uh, later on when we sort of talk about Charlton Comics, we'll okay. get deeper into that. Um, but I think anyway, um, like... At this point, he's not really like you know fully doing editorial duties. I, I think he's basically just like inheriting backlog and just sort of like working through it, you know, before his I guess touch is, is going to be felt in these stories. Okay. All right. So with that in mind, I think um, there's not much in the way of uh, you know introductory material, as I say, that we need to cover on this one. Uh, maybe just a, a quick overview of the uh, the sort of genre, I guess, that you know is, informs these stories. You know, we've talked before about how um, you know Boston Brand and the uh, you know Dead Man Saga sort of like inform with like you know film noir type elements. Yeah. Well, so these two stories or whatever, you know, kind of fall into a little bit of a subgenre of noir that, uh, and I don't even know if this is a real term, but like I call it like border noir. You know, <laughs> like okay. yeah, like stuff that is uh, you know kind of like you know the the U.S. Mexico border, but I think not not just limited to that. Like you know, and you know, forgive me if I'm you know talking out of turn. Like I, said, I haven't read this anywhere. It's just my own sort of theories on on noir. There's um, kind of like a, a sub element that I often see in like you know films that I watch where there's like you know settings that are sort of like itinerant right you know there's sort of like backdrop of a foreign country like you know um, probably most famously like you know rick's bar in casablanca mm-hmm. you know you got people from all these different countries or whatever and everybody comes to rick's right, right. that's the thing or like um we'd seen a while ago the uh, the movie gilda do you remember that that takes place down in argentina sort of nightclub yeah yeah, yeah so uh, that's like another thing right you know like all these sort of like i guess displaced individuals or whatever converging you know on a single location that uh, that sort of creates like intrigue like you know you don't know the past of any of these people you don't know you know what the their culture yeah their background or you know what's bringing them together um but specifically like i say you know in u.s noir fiction you know the setting for a lot of that type of stuff tends to be you know right on the border of mexico um specifically like one or two places you know either a you have that, um, you know, San Diego, Tijuana type thing, mm-hmm. you know, or or secondarily. And, and I think most of the things that I've, you know, read or seen um, actually tend to be the sort of like Tex-Mex thing. You know, you've got that like El, El, you know, El Paso Mores. Yeah, El Paso Mores. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, and like I say, you know, that tends to be, you know, where a lot of the stuff that, that I've seen that kind of falls into this genre, you know, takes place. Um, I don't know necessarily that you would classify this as noir or whatever, but eh, maybe a little bit. The uh, whole sort of like Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like Desperado and all that, that takes place, you know, right on that area. Yeah. Oh, but and matter of fact, you know, to sort of do a little bit of cross genre, um, I think late last year we watched um, From Dust Till Dawn. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was exactly that, right? They were crossing the border and, you know. That's what I was like, thinking and, of, yeah. Yeah, and then kind of things literally went south. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so um, a couple other things. Um, I forget who the director is, but he is the guy who actually wrote um, The Usual Suspects. He had a movie in um, the early 2000s with Benicio Del Toro, who we probably met on The Usual Suspects, called uh, The Way of the Gun, which... 
I think it's a really, really underrated movie. Like, I think not even a lot of people know about it, but it's kind of like one of those, um, what do they call it? Like, Sting? Not not Sting, but like, um, heist-type movies. It's kind of like two dudes who, like, kidnap this girl for ransom, but, um... The uh, the mob actually has a vested interest in her, so now they're in over their heads or whatever. Oh, but, so it's uh, much larger than what they had anticipated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I kind of dig that, and that kind of falls in this genre. Mm-hmm. But um, but probably the the one movie that I would say you know I think best typifies the uh, the overall vibe of this type of fiction is uh, a movie that I would probably rank in my top ten. Honestly, it's, I really really dig it. Called uh, Lone Star. With um, uh, Chris Christopherson, Matthew McConaughey. Do you remember that? I do remember it. Yeah, and. Um, What's that? Oh, Chris Cooper. I, I was trying to think of the, the main dude in the movie or whatever. Um, he's kind of like a, a secondary. But yeah, Chris Cooper and then uh, and the late uh, Elizabeth Pena. She actually died a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. But, uh, but oh, I, I totally dig that movie. And uh, and like I say, you know, that really, you know, sort of typifies that feeling of like, you know, like I say, you know, itinerous. Like everybody's got their own, you know, sort of like motivation and about their secrets and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, but probably the er example, you know, if you wanted to say, you know, where... At least in, in American noir fiction, you know, everything sort of branches off on the, 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 the one film that, you know, people cite as the influence on all of this um, would have to be, and, you know, for the benefit of everyone this past week, Melanie and I sat down and watched this in preparation, <laughs> was uh, the uh, the Orson Welles movie from uh, 1958. Mm-hmm. A Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil. It's not A Touch of Evil. <laughs> just oh, t- just Touch just, of Evil? Just Touch of Evil. Ah. <laughs> so, but... Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's kind of regarded, I guess, as one of the uh, you know great lost classics of cinema. You know, it's kind of like the cinematic equivalent of like you know Brian Wilson's Smile or something like that. You know, like wow. you know, like Orson Welles had this vision for how he wanted it to be, but you know, the studio intervened and chopped it up and blah 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 blah. But we saw the one that was his vision of it. Kind of. So there's like multiple versions of the movie. So there was you know the original movie that was shot, and then you know secondarily the one you know and then chopped up by the studio, and that's what was released. Um, but then Orson Welles made a series of notes saying that he wanted, you know, this scene back in and da 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 So they did another cut, I think, like in the 70s, which just basically put all the material in. But then the version we saw was um, like some sort of like, you know, um, student of cinema sat down with Orson Welles' notes and all the different cuts and tried as best as possible to reassemble the version that fit Orson Welles' vision. Yeah. So, so, yeah, what we saw was as close as possible to Orson Welles' cut, but not actually the true one. You know, but, um, okay. but 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 that being said, still a good movie. You yeah, know, yeah, just... it was uh, gritty, dark, and uh, yeah, like interesting all the way through. Yeah, Orson Welles, like you know, it, it's funny, like you know, everybody always you know claims Citizen Kane is the best movie of all time. Or I don't know necessarily that I would agree with that, but one thing I will say beyond a shadow of a doubt is that Orson Welles is probably you know one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. You know, his eye for like tracking shots and mm-hmm. like use of shadow or whatever. Just phenomenal. Like, you see things... That opening scene was just crazy how they, like, just tracked that one vehicle. Seriously, for, like, you know, for the benefit of everyone that's never seen this movie, the initial scene is an unbroken shot that probably goes on, like, seven or eight minutes, you Mm -hmm. know, down a street and rising up to windows and down other streets or whatever, and the the camera never cuts over the whole... Oh, it's just just amazing. So, highly recommended, but... uh, like I say, you know, the reason we watched any of this, you know, is in preparation for, for this dead man story. Probably went a little above board, you know, like, <laughs> oh, actually, you know, before we even get into the story, one other thing we should probably mention is that just last night we saw a movie that had elements of border noir. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, yeah. That it, it, was... it wasn't like a... A huge part of it, but yeah, it was present. Right, but at the yeah the beginning of the movie Logan, for anybody listening, go see Logan. Just yeah, <laughs> like, it, was, it was worth it. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Like uh, like I say, not not full on you know border noir or whatever, but the intro of it you know basically sets you know you know Wolverine you know far in the future whatever basically living this sort of itinerant life you know right on the border of Mexico. So, but yeah, highly recommended film. Um, but all that being said, none, none of that, you know, bears any relevance to, uh, you know. <laughs> to dead man to, at all. Right. So, uh, so, yeah. So the two stories we're going to be looking at tonight are going to be from uh, Strange Adventures number 211 and then a follow-up in 212. Um, this would be from uh, April 1968 and then, and then May 1968. And I think, I'm not 100% certain, but I believe that um, this is going to be the, the last story of dead man that appears in a monthly basis. I think from this point onward... Uh, Strange Adventures actually becomes a bi-monthly book. Um, Were they losing audience? Um, I, I, no, you know what it is, I, and this is just sheer like speculation. But I would imagine 
it's because, you know, with the departure of, you know, writers or whatever, Neil Adams started doing double duty on, like, this and the Spectre or whatever. And I think he basically couldn't handle all this, you know, yeah, on, yeah. on a monthly basis. Um, so, but, uh, but all that, like I say, you know, is going to come into play in the second story. Our first one, actually, um, How Close to Me, My Killer, um, as I say, is from Strange Adventures number 211, April 1968. Um, this is written, last story, I say, by Jack Miller, pencil and inked by Neil Adams, uh, with letters by Gaspar Saladino. And the cover, um, basically same credits, pencils inked by Neil Adams, uh, letters also by Gaspar Saladino. Uh, so first things first, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at that cover. Um, as always, you know, when we're reading Dead Man's stories, you know, I'm reading this out of the uh, the original issues, uh, whereas Melanie is following along in the uh, the hardcover Dead Man collection. I think um, I think for these ones, um, you know, the colors are, are fairly married up. I don't think we yeah, have too they much look variance. Pretty right on. Yeah. So uh, so what we see on our cover is uh, you know Dead Man, you know, there in, in the foreground, looking astonished at this sort of like you know cut out white silhouette. I guess you know you see the uh, the form of a man, but it's just like you know empty in space. As uh, Dead Man's like, you, my killer, no, no, not you, not you. And, uh, and behind him, in sort of a, a semicircle, we see, you know, a bunch of people, you know, like uh, sort of surrounding him. And uh, if you look closely, a lot of these people are people that we've previously seen in Dead Man's stories as suspects. Like um, this first guy here is uh, from the very, very first Dead Man story. Remember the uh, the lion tamer yeah. who was involved in that like heroin ring, okay. right? So, and then next to him is uh, Lorna's brother, right, from and the motorcycle gang. Is that one Eagle? Eagle, exactly, right. And so you go around, and I don't know all these people, but this one's kind of interesting. Like right below, um, you know, the uh, the cutout figure, we see this guy in a top hat. Penguin. He's... <laughs> Penguin. <no. laughs> He's actually. We read this story. He's not actually from a Dead Man story. Do you remember in the first? Uh, Neil Adams penciled Spectre story. There was that uh, like crook who got hit and his like soul was knocked out of him, but he was a stage yeah, magician. Yeah, yeah. Remember that, that guy? Ah. That, that was really funny. And then I think it might be Tiny. I'm not sure. We see a, we see a couple different bald mm. guys there, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's just kinda... any one of them could be Tiny. <laughs> but any one of them could be the hook either. Right? <laughs> so, so let's uh, turn the page and find out if any of them are. As uh, how close to me, my killer. Apparently, we open in medias res. You know, basically a second after our last story had ended. Uh, you remember, Dead Man had just tracked down the uh, um, detective, I guess, that was handling his case and, mm -hmm. like, you know, sort of solved it. And you know, but the the hook had beat feet out of there. Um, so we see our narration says, "Dead Man, murdered and deprived of his right to eternal rest, compelled to wander the earth, unseen, unheard, allowed only to walk among men in the bodies of others." Dead Man continues his relentless search for the man who killed him. As, uh, you know, we see Boston Brand, you know, screaming to the heavens. As is his want. <laughs> As is his want. <laughs> uh, you were here, Hook, and you got away just moments ago. Uh, I can almost smell you, but I'm going to find you again, killer. And when I do, there's not going to be room for you to slip through my fingers. As, uh, in the background, we see, I guess, the, uh, the chief of police leading away, you know, the uh, uh, detective assigned to Brand's case. Uh, even though the Hook got away, you cleared yourself. And prove that he framed you. Make you feel any better, Riley? Uh, hard to say, Lieutenant. Everything feels kind of fuzzy. Because, of course, you know, Boston <laughs> right. had just possessed him. To, you know. <laughs> so, script by Jack Miller. Uh, art by Neil Adams. As we turn our page and, uh, you know, we see Dead Man, I guess, looking at the clues there in Riley's house. You copped out on me again, Hook. But this time, you left a trail. And he's looking at a little, like, travel brochure. Mm -hmm. I got you now, Hook. My killer. And I know where to find you. Sunny El Campo, south of the border. Here I come, Hook. As our narration, uh, you know, I guess we cut to Mexico. And you see El Campo, a sleepy Mexican town just across the Rio Grande. Doesn't get many visitors, but today it's got one. Uh, we see dead man, you know, walking through the sleepy streets. Why, Hook? What brings you to this dirty little town? Uh, but the next moment, dead man freezes as he sees a dude who looks exactly like him. Mm -hmm. Cleveland! Cleveland! My twin brother, Cleve! Dun, dun, dun. My twin brother? Yeah, didn't see that twisted. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so there are some things a man can't believe, uh, says our narration, without going clear out of his skull. There's... Is one of them that Boston <laughs> Brand has a twin brother? <laughs> um, but there are some that a man won't let himself believe, even when every bone and tissue in his body screams, it's true, it's true. As, uh, you know, we see Boston looking at his twin, thinking, Cleve... Don't tell me the hook came here to see you. Are you mixed up in my killing? It can't be. It can't. And yet. 
The memory is Boston remembers. Yet, it seems like just yesterday, but it was actually years back when Boston Brand was still sharpening his skills and hardening his muscles. And we see him, I guess, you know, training in the, in the circus on top of the little uh, trapeze platform. Cleveland, he shouts down. Long time no see. What brings you around? Uh, something I gotta talk to you about, Boston. You know, he yells up Cleveland. Uh, it's real important to me. And so he says, I want you to take me into your act, Boston. It's something I wanted to do all my life. Cleveland, that's impossible, says Boston. You don't have the coordination. It takes years of practice. Okay, okay, says Cleveland. You always had to be the big shot. Ah, wait a minute, Cleve. That's not the way it is. You're not being fair. Fair, says Cleveland. I'll tell you something, Boston. When we were kids, I hated you. I kept hoping you'd die. And for all I care, you can still croak. Wow. Um, but, uh, as Boston thinks, oh, but Cleveland was just crying his heart out, saying things he probably regretted ten minutes later. That doesn't mean he'd come around and pull the trigger on me. He wouldn't do that. Uh, but there was that other time, as he goes back in his memories and sitting with his crying mother. Oh, he's got himself mixed up in some gang, and now he's in trouble with them, says the mother, all crying. And he's afraid to leave the house. Don't worry, Ma, I'll take care of it, says Boston. Uh, so Boston heads out, and what's he find? A couple of bruisers waiting down the block. You hatchet men waiting for someone, he says, clenching his fists as they come out of the shadows. Yeah, Cleve, we got a present for you, say the thugs. You got the wrong brand, says Boston, but since we brands always give something in return, you know, the chalk, he gives a uh, right cross and knocks both of them right in the jaw. Boy, you guys are overpaid, he says as they hit the ground. <laughs> now for a little heart-to-heart with Cleveland. Uh, Boston didn't expect any gratitude from his brother, so he wasn't exactly disappointed when, that's why you came around, wasn't it, Boston, to show me what a big man you are compared to me. Are you some kind of nut, Cleve, says Boston. You think that's all I got to think about, showing you up? This is your last warning, he says, slamming his brother into the wall. You better straighten up and fly right, or I'm never going to let you forget it. Ah, oh, don't worry, Boston, says Cleveland. I won't forget. I'm never going to forget this. Ah, but that was no reason to get me, was it? No, thinks Boston in the present. You're only shooting your mouth off, weren't you, Cleve? Um, that was the last time, says the narration, that Boston had seen Cleveland until... Da-da-da-da-da, back to the present. Uh, we see uh, Cleveland talking to a young girl. Any business leader? Nothing to write home about, Dad, says uh, apparently his daughter. Uh, you got a lovely daughter, Cleve, says Boston, looking in the background as we uh, go inside, uh, apparently, the, the bar that Cleveland owns. Listen, Dad, says Lita, now that Mother's gone, can't we move back to the States like you promised? Uh, sure, honey, as soon as I finish up some business. What business, Dad? Where are you making all this money? Not from this hotel, I know. <laughs> I was just thinking, if Boston were alive, he'd be surprised at how much dough I got now. So we see uh, Cleveland, I guess, rifling through some papers. Uh, sorry, honey, but uh, something's come up. I uh, I got to take off again tonight. Oh, Dad, no, not again. Sorry, Lita, says Cleveland. It can't be helped, but I'll be back in a few days. You spend more time away from the hotel than these days than in it. As, uh, her dad comes out, and I guess she turns to the barman. Oh, Jose, I wish I had somebody to tell my troubles to, someone to confide in. You do, Lita, says Boston, flying over her, even though you don't know it. I'm going to find out where he's going, honey. So we see Boston fly off, and uh, he's land on top of the bus that his brother's riding. As uh, we see all these little, <laughs> little barefoot Mexican kids running toward it. Esta aquí, Esteban, mira. What's that mean? Oh, uh, it's here. Steve, Esteban, is that Steven? Uh, maybe. Yeah, so like basically, it's here, Steve, look. Pointing at the bus. Looks like I'm not the only one getting a free ride, says Dead Man. Uh, but where are we heading, Cleve? So the journey apparently ends on the banks of the Rio Grande, where... Take it easy, you guys, shouts uh, Cleveland down to, uh, I guess, all the, the Mexican kids, you know, getting on a boat. Uh, we ain't leaving before dark anyway. There's plenty of room for everybody. What are you up to, brother of mine, says Dead Man floating over. Why are you smuggling these Mexicans across the border into the U.S.? Uh, but for now, says our narration, let's change the scene to a civic community dinner in a medium-sized city in Texas, U.S.A., and it's my honor and privilege to stand here and affirm to all you good folks. <laughs> Sorry, it's my George W. Bush voice. <laughs> so it's my honor and privilege to stand here and affirm to all you good folks that it's the laboring people, the hardworking poor people that built this great and glorious nation. <laughs> Strategery. No, it's <laughs> And it's our privilege as their chosen leaders and to give them every break we can. Thank you, folks. As uh, he comes off the stage and everybody's like glad handing. That's a great speech, Alf. You can say that again. Alf. Yeah. So apparently, uh, <laughs> Alf Jackson is his name. And uh, as as we leave, we can hear the applause still ringing in his ears. Back to the ranch, Pete. He says to his <laughs> chauffeur. Yes, sir. 
Um, this scene, this little like um, you know uh, chauffeur in the foreground with a guy sitting in the in the back seat or whatever. Um, I've seen this actually in several Neil Adams stories. I think he favors this particular composition. You know, like the 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 main guy in a back seat with like you know a, a, a you know servant or whatever in the front. Uh-huh. We'll see it a couple different times. Um, so we uh, we cut to the Alfie Jackson Ranch, one of the biggest in the state, uh, eighty miles away. As Jackson arrives exactly one hour later, someone to see you, sir. Is, uh, who is it? Cleveland Brand. Indeed. Uh, how do, Mr. Jackson? Oh, hello, Cleve. Did you bring the uh, the merchandise? Uh, yes, sir, Mr. Jackson. Yes, sir. What's going on, Cleve? Says Dead Man, uh, still lurking in the background. Um, but before long, you know, I guess his Dead Man's you know following this action. Um, we see uh, you know him witnessing a sinister scene, and we see all these guys out in the field. Uh, good work, Cleve. Here's a little extra bonus for you here. You keep him working, but remember, we got to get him out of here before dawn. Oh, so this is what you're up to, says Dead Man. A wetback operation. Illegally smuggling Mexicans into the U.S. for cheap labor. Uh, but at that moment, uh, we see some dude, you know, riding up on a motorcycle. Oh, it's Ori Kane. Something's wrong. Bad news, Mr. Jackson. The cops have been tipped off about the wetbacks. They're on their way here. Quickly, we got to get them out of here, says, uh... Oh, Jackson. <laughs> I keep forgetting his name. Alf Jackson, right? Yeah. Uh, it ain't going to be easy, Mr. Jackson, says Cleveland. The cops contacted the Mexican authorities, and they're going to be waiting on the other side. What? says uh, Jackson. If these stinking wetbacks are taken prisoner, they're going to spill the beans. I'm a big man around here. My reputation will be ruined. You listen, Cleve, and you listen good. When you reach the middle of the Rio Grande, you unload. Understand? I don't want any witnesses to pin this on me. You understand? Uh, yes, Mr. Jackson, says Cleveland. No, Cleve, no! says Dead Man. Writhing in the... Yeah, that's particularly nasty. Yeah. So... A silent cry of despair now chokes Dead Man as he watches helplessly as his brother lumbers to his grim mission. No, Cleve, no. You're no killer. You can't be. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you got a right to be. I don't know. But I know my brother's not a mass murderer. Our narration says that there's a coldness far worse than the coldness of death, the kind of coldness that encases the great heart of Dead Man as he numbly follows his brother until... I guess we see the uh, the boatman... Uh, don't forget, Cleve, you could get rid of every last one of them. Mr. Jackson's strict orders. Yeah, yeah, I heard. This is Cleveland as he gets in the boat, you know, with all these uh, Mexican guys. As our uh, narration says, There are two unknown and unseen passengers aboard the doomed vessel. Uh, one is dead man. The other is death. Ah, look at him happy and laughing, says Cleve as he looks out at all the folks on the boat. Uh, if only they knew they only had two minutes to live. Sure, sure, thinks dead man. Fat lot you care, you cold-blooded killer. Now I know you're tied up with the hook, my killer. Well, how's that prove that? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> just, oh, just, I guess because he has the ability to kill, Dead Man's like making the jump. Um, but uh, but does he? Because no. All of a sudden, Cleveland, I guess, has his moment of doubt and pain as he <laughs> determines, I can't do it, Ori. I can't kill a whole boatload of innocent people. I couldn't kill anyone, he says. Ah, Cleve, says Dead Man, suddenly jubilant, flying mm-hmm. up to the sky. I'd have given my life to hear you say that if I had a life to give. And if you can't kill a stranger, well, you couldn't do it to your own brother, could you, baby? Uh, you better listen, Cleve, <laughs> says uh, the boatman, uh, suddenly his hand on pistol. Uh, you got orders. You're going to carry him out, you understand? But I can, I tell you, says Cleveland. I can. I can't kill anyone. Well, too bad for you, then, he says, pulling out the gun, because I got my orders, too, to take you out if you chicken out. Uh, Hang on, Cleve, says uh, Dead Man, suddenly, you know, zipping down toward his brother. Uh, you'd be a lot better off if I took over, kiddo. He says, jumping into his body, as now suddenly we see that telltale glow. Uh-huh. You know, Cleveland is now possessed by his brother. As it's a brand new Cleveland, says our narration, who goes to work. With a whamp, he kicks the gun out of uh, our dude's hand. Okay, buddy, you had your chance. Now it's mine. As he, you know, leaps to his feet and punches him across the face. You know, we see, that's actually a good shot, right? You see the dude's face, like, literally ripple from the, from the punch. <laughs> Oof! As he knocks him into the water. Listen, everybody, shouts, uh, you know, the Boston-possessed Cleveland, you know, <laughs> over to the boat of people. I'm turning this whole shebang over to the authorities. Don't worry. They're, they're going to let you go after a warning. I'm asking you just one thing, though. you got to spill the beans on that hypocrite Jackson who's really behind this whole racket. Okay, pals? See, see, we tell, says <laughs> the, the Mexican. Um, but just then, uh, we see another boat come up. And the dude uh, jumps off of it. Senor, watch out! Another Jackson killer! Uh, but the warning comes too late as this Jackson killer, you know, grabs, you know, the Boston-possessed Cleveland around the throat and, you know, continues the momentum right off the boat and into the drink with a splash. As, uh, 
as we turn our page and we get this beautiful now double page spread, which unfortunately I'm it's sort of... It's different in my book. Yours looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm peeking over at yours and just for the benefit of everybody, it's like, it's a, you know, a center page, you know, page 13, 14 or whatever just goes in like six uh like vertical panels right you know like six columns yeah across the thing whereas melanie's is split against three so it kind of oh, destroys the effect yeah it does um so what do we see we see them struggling underwater as you know boston as cleveland's like gasp i can't breathe my chest is on fire i'm done for i'm sorry cleve i didn't mean to do this to you um, but at this critical moment fate takes a hand I'm Dr. Fate. No, I'm just joking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but uh, Fate, in this case, is the, the anchor rope, I guess, from the boat. Um, the dude, you know, the, the killer you know, from Jackson or whatever, uh, gets caught up in it. Uh-huh. And, a gulp, and that gives, uh, you know, Cleveland pos- or Boston possessed Cleveland or, or strike that reverse. <laughs> whatever, you know, the opportunity to, uh, to beat feet out of there. And so he, he's swimming away. Oh. I will turn my page. <laughs> Making sure to get caught on the microphone. Need air, says uh, Boston. You're swimming for the surface. As, uh, he breaks the surface. Hurry, pull that line, he shouts um, up to the dude. But I think this dude has no interest in pulling the line because he's holding a double barrel shotgun on him. You're a fool, Bran. In a second, you'll be a dead fool. <laughs> George W. Jackson. Stop. <laughs> We turn our page and, you know, he starts uh, firing at him. Blam, blam. He missed. And thinks, uh, you know, Boston. At this range, how? And the how is that we uh, zoom back up to the boat. You know, the camera tilts up. And we see, you know, one of the Mexican dudes has grabbed a shovel. And, like, he basically hit Jackson right in the back of the head. And that's how. Like a click of a camera shutter, Dead Man's Eye registers the scene that saved the life of his brother Cleve. And he's, uh, pull that line up. There's a man at the end of it. Hurry, he says. Oh, they're pulling him up, and he's telling them to, to make sure to pull up the anchor to save the other dude. Uh, Hurry, faster, faster. But uh, no can do. They pull mm. up the rope, and apparently, you know, it must have been severed below, and, you know, our, our baddie must be, uh, you know, dead at the bottom. All right, guys, let's go home, says Boston, you know, climbing into the boat. Uh, so we cut, I guess, to a little bit later, as for once, this is a narration, there's an air of gaiety about the ramshackle El Campo Hotel when Cleveland Brand comes home. Oh, Daddy, I'm so proud of you, says Lita running out. Hey, big hero, says uh, maybe the cook or something. Uh, I still don't know whatever came, came over me, honey, says uh, Cleveland. So much of what happened is blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess I am sort of a hero now, though. Huh, boy, if only my brother Boston could see me now. Uh, but he can't. This Cleveland looking at a, a picture of his brother, which might as well be a picture a of himself. Exactly. Uh, you'd be surprised, Cleve, as we see, uh, you know, little knees floating over his head. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, as we turn our page, and there's just a final panel of Boston just raging again. But what happened to you, Hook? Where are you, killer? <laughs> Continue the grim pursuit of revenge in next month's issue of Strange Adventures. And uh, and like I say, this is the, the last Jack Miller penned issue of dead man but i imagine he must, he must have had notes on the story because as we're going to see in the next issue it picks up um you know right there um but before we go into the next issue let me actually uh, turn back a couple pages we skipped over it but there was a, a little bit of a letter column here which uh <laughs> is called uh S.A. Letters, which I think is the only time I ever see this, because before Strange this, Adventure Letters? No, no, it used to be Strange But True, right? Which had been the sort of text features, but then they'd been using that for the letter column thing, and I think they still have the contest to determine the new one, so I think this is just, yeah, it's obviously Strange Adventure Letters or whatever, but I think they've never called it this before. Hmm. Um, basically, they're just saying that, you know, the letters keep pouring in on, on Dead Man. Basically, everybody loves it. Um, just, uh, I'm not going to read through all these or whatever, but, um, just kind of funny. Some people asking for team ups. Um, this dude wants to see uh, dead man teaming up with Batman, of course. you know, and the specter. And he's citing the fact of, of Batman, which kind of makes sense is that they both have, uh, you know, similar backgrounds, right? You know, they're both searching for killers, mm-hmm. right? Dead man for his own and Batman for, you know, the killer of his parents. Um, but then there's the specter, you know, for, uh, you know, the, the idea of like, they're both being ghosts and the, uh, the editor says, uh, many thanks for the kind words and supreme confidence in Dead Man's future. Uh, not many dead men are assured of long life. I'm afraid I can't uh, agree, though, about teaming up Dead Man and the Spectre. Uh, true, there's certain superficial similarities, uh, but their style great, varies so greatly, uh, with Dead Man done in a highly realistic manner, while Spectre, although just as effective, is done in a more traditionally supercharged and imaginative manner. Um, you know, what style would you adopt for a feature, you know, for a story featuring both characters? If you tried to mix them, uh, all you'd have left is hash. Um, I don't necessarily that, that I agree. I mean, you, you probably could do it. 
Um, what do you think? Yeah, I don't. Um, I think it would probably have to cross that line or border. <laughs> very, very non-committal answer. But mm-hmm. okay, we'll see. We'll see. Well, as it would I have should. to because I, well, now I am thinking about it, and and they are different. You know, like Spectre's like this huge, ginormous planet-spanning kind of character. Yeah, and Dead Man just wants to, you know. Travel from town to town and find the hook. <laughs> exactly. Are you my killer? Right. That's it. You probably mean the specter. He's like, are you my killer? <laughs> <laughs> so let's see what else. Um, just some more people just praising the the, the strip or whatever, and and they're saying, uh, you know, Dead Man's giving us all some kicks. Uh, says the the editor. The only thing that could possibly quote unquote kill him is lack of reader interest, and right now that <laughs> seems virtually impossible. Oh, excellent. All right. So. Uh, so if your interest is also continuing, let us continue on <laughs> then in the, uh, the next issue, uh, Strange Adventures number 212, like I say, from May of 68. Uh, There's a story called The Fatal Call of Vengeance. Um, and as I say, at this point mm-hmm. now, Jack Miller off the strip because now this is both written, penciled, and inked by Neil Adams uh, with letters by, again, never heard of this dude, Ray Holloway, but just maybe another, you know, DC letterer. Couldn't Neil Adams do that too? Um, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and the cover uh, is penciled, inked, and colored by Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. He's just the man of a thousand talents. Uh, letters by Gaspar Saladino. Uh, so let's go ahead and pull up that cover, um, which is a uh, big action scene, right? We get the, uh, you know, like um, really, really sort of zoomed in action too. Like normally, you know, you, you have it more, um, I guess, you know, spaced out or whatever, but this is right up on it, you know, as we see um, Boston and the hook you know, battling it out, I guess, on the circus ground, right? You see a tent in the background mm-hmm. there. And uh, and then there's another gunman, I guess, you know, like, you know, shooting at this scene, you know, as, as Boston's like, not again, Hook, I won't let you kill me again. And the, and the whole thing is sort of like canted in one of those, uh, what they call uh, Dutch angles, right? You know, mm-hmm. you ever see like, you know, in, in movies to sort of like throw you off kilter, like, um, uh, like do the right thing or something, right? You know, where they suddenly like can't the camera, like all right, like crazy. Yeah. And, uh, well, actually, you know what else is uh, the old Batman TV show? It's probably more a contemporary reference for this, right? They use this, this sort of camera angle quite often. Neat. So, uh, so let's crack this open and uh, take a look at our story. Um, pausing, you know, on the, the issue that I'm looking at on the inside front cover, uh, you know, where we're seeing the advertisements for all the, uh, I guess, new and exciting, you know, DC titles. You know, where we got new excitement, new adventure, and a new kind of humor. Um, this here is... Uh, anthro which um basically you know as you see from the cover like you know a caveman type story mm-hmm. uh artist writer named uh, How- howard post i believe i think this is his uh, claim to fame as far as dc uh the creeper which we've seen advertisements for this before we're, we're not going to read it but we will discuss it briefly when we talk about uh, hawk and dove because these are all uh, creations of uh, steve ditko okay who just came over to dc and then uh, you know inferior five which you know we just read you know last episode here um but new because now joe orlando Right is going to be uh, taking over over that title, um, so uh, but all that you know has no relation really to to this story, uh, the Fatal Call of Vengeance. As uh, we pick up right where we left off, you know, with a uh, dead man, you know, down in El Campo, you know, hanging over his brother and uh, I guess his niece Lita. Haven't found any connection between you and this Hook Cleave, and the Hook is why I came to El Campo. Uh, see it, Cleve. I would, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Apparently he's beating feet out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, says our narration, Dead man, you're closer than ever to your killer, aren't you? Uh, you're sure he's in this little town. How soon will you make him hear the fatal call of vengeance? As uh, we take a look down at the, uh, the scene between Cleveland and, and Lita, as um, she's opening up a package, you know, pulling out, you know, Boston Brand's actual, you know, costume. <laughs> uh, it's nice of the circus to send your brother's things to you, Dad. Do you ever think we'll go back to the States and visit Boston's old friends? I was meaning to talk to you about that, honey, says Cleveland. Our plane reservations have already been for- confirmed for tomorrow. You better oh. get yourself back. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, Dad. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, Daddy, we're going home. What a wonderful surprise, says Lita, apparently not caring that he <laughs> pack that night. Well, I know how much you like surprises, Lita. It's a habit I picked up from my brother. Uh, so two days later, apparently, now that they've uh, caught their plane... Uh, we see Lorna Hill, owner of the Hill Brothers Circus, uh, has, has a visitor who looks very much like the late Boston Brand. Hi, says Cleveland, opening the door. Anybody around here know me? Boston, <laughs> says uh, Lorna. <laughs> it, it can't be. You're, oh, she says, fainting. Oh, <laughs> come on. Way to go, Cleve. Um, <laughs> but of course, says our narration, you don't know what's going on back at the circus, dead man. You're still down in El Campo, searching for the hook. Until now, your search has been futile. Uh, but now your discarnate ears here in the background. 
If you must know, Torista, said the dude at the bar, I got this black eye from a countryman of yours this morning. He hit me with his hook. A man with a hook, says our narration. It must be him. (laughs) Something to hold on to. Can't let that conversation end, can you? You must enter the little man's body. As we see Boston, like, leaping over the bar to this, like, sort of, like, nebbishy looking guy, right? You know, sort of balding dude with glasses as uh, he hops in and I guess trying to, like, well, I guess he doesn't have to disguise his voice. We do that as a convenience for our listeners. I just keep talking in Boston's voice, but we're going to pretend that he's trying to be nebbishy. Why would this hook fellow wish to strike you? Ah, crazy gringo. I just took his morning paper from him, you know, like, I was kidding, but he went wild. I, I think something in the paper bugged him. Uh, when he finished reading this paper, says, uh, in the little nebbish, you know, possessed by Boston, what did this, uh, what did this hook do? Pero, says, uh, your dog, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got in a cab and headed toward the airport. Hey, how come you want to know? He means something to you? Maybe you're a cop or something, huh? Um, but, uh, you know, but as the, the, the dude's like haranguing this dude, you know, Boston takes a look at the paper and what's he see? Famed aerialist alive. Dead man, victim of sniper's bullet, says reports of his death are exaggerated. And so Boston's like, what? what? Yeah, he, so he jumps out of the dude's body. He's like, I got to get to the circus and see who's impersonating me. Um, but as he leaves... Well, I wonder who could be impersonating <laughs> Yeah, him. really. But uh, but as he leaves, you know, the altercation's still going on. You know, we see in the background. Hey, gringo, you answer me. You a cop or something? Policia? Huh? Says the little dude. What's that? Uh, police? No, no, that's all right. I, I'm just a little dizzy. No need for police. Don't you lie to me, gringo cop. He says, grabbing the dude, knocking him off his feet. I take enough from you gringos today. Now I give a little. Uh-oh. Says Boston, spinning back around. He's like, you left this dude in, yeah. in the lurch. Uh, as we turn our page, and apparently he must jump back inside the dude because now we see the little glow around him, right? Uh-huh. And so now this little like nerdy dude, you know, starts fighting back. He gives like kind of a uh, what would you call that? Like he, he, not a fist, but he sort of like closes his fingers and like gives him a, 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 a an upper blow to the chin or whatever. Oh, he says, knocking the dude backwards. The sneaky gringo, grab him! As now all of a sudden the whole bar <laughs> wants in on this. Uh-oh. Thanks, Boston. I got the strangest feeling I'm in the wrong body for this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we see, like, now uh, kind of a nice layout, right? We got three sort of triangular panels all intersecting on the bottom as we see uh, Boston as the nerd going into, you know, a full barroom brawl. You know, turn into a barroom blitz. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he hits the one dude against the table and then, you know, simultaneously punches and kicks a dude in front of him, behind him. He falls on his back, flips another dude you know, over him. You know, great Neil Adams action. Um, and, uh, and so when it's all done, Boston exits. He's like, ah, they're all yours now, chum. Good heavens, says the man. Did I do all that? My, my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now, says our narration, uh, you head back to the circus, driving yourself toward your goals if your life depended upon it. Except you no longer have a life to fight for. You're fighting for the end of your torment and perhaps someone else's life. Hurry, dead man, hurry. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Neil Adams uh, a little bit more on the, uh, the dramatic narration than yeah. Jack Miller, right? So uh, so he goes, ah, oh, there it is, he says, you know, looming over the old Hill Brothers circus. Ah, oh, the circus. Somebody down there is impersonating me. And for some reason, Lorna and everybody else is going along with it. Let's see, where would he be? Of course, there's my old tent. As he uh, zips through the tent wall, and of course, Cleveland, you, what the devil's going on here? As uh, we jump into the middle of a conversation. I don't know, says Lorna. I'm beginning to have second thoughts about this, Cleveland. If Boston's killer was smart enough to escape after making the murder, what makes you think we're going to be able to stop him this time? Because we're ready for him this time, says Cleveland. And anyway, this is something I have to do. You wouldn't understand, but I was never able to tell my brother how much I thought of him. He did so much for me, and I never found a way to thank him. This is my way, the only way I have left, now that he's dead. No, Cleve, says Boston in the background. Not this way. I don't want your head on the same block that mine was on. Um, but uh, Cleveland, obviously not hearing, you know, his mm-hmm. spectral brother, um, says to uh, to Lorna and Tiny, uh, I'm going to go take a walk around the grounds now and see if I can turn anything up. I better stay with him, thinks Boston, until I can think of some way to make him give up this stupid stunt. Um, so, you know, Cleveland walking around, son mask, you know, uh, as you see, but uh, little Vashnu. Mm-hmm. Hey, good morning, Vashnu. Analyze any interesting characters lately? Nothing so interesting as the night before you were shot, child of Ramakushna, thinks, uh, thinks Vashnu. As, uh, then he speaks, uh, Hello, Mr. Brand. May I speak to you for a moment? As, uh, you know, with a suspicious glint in his eye, he's like, Will you be performing your act again soon, Mr. Brand? Uh, no, says Cleveland. Not for quite a while. I won't be able to begin training for another month. Doctor's orders. My wound was very serious, you know. I see, Mr. Brand. Thank you. 
but they're not fooling Vashnu, are they, dead man? Says our narration. He knows it's not you. He and his all-pervading Ramakushna. Uh, but wait, what's that sound intruding upon your thoughts, dead man? The lions, perhaps? Ah, bless those lions, says Cleveland. Why are they making such a racket? The new lion tamer seems to put excessive effort into his work, says Vashnu. Perhaps you would like to see that he does not do any damage to the animals. Huh? Uh, yeah, sure, says Cleveland. As uh, he comes around the corner to see this new lion tamer. Uh, Clogman, what in blazes are you doing? Says Cleveland. Why are you using that prod on the lions? As indeed we see this sort of like mm. electric, yeah, prod or whatever. Uh, this is my act, Brand. What I do with the cats is none of your business. Anything that happens around this circus is my business, says Cleveland. Uh, those cats belong to the circus, not to you. Now knock it off or... boy, says Dead Man in the background. Sick him. All right, all right, cool it, friend, says uh, Clogman. Uh, he used to do this to get the cats worked up. It makes for a better show. They act meaner and there's no real harm done. That's not true, we hear a voice coming from off panel. Varna, says uh, Clogman, you butt out of this. No, he has gone too far, says Varna. Apparently uh, a Russian girl. I'm just giving her this uh, <laughs> Well, she is today. <laughs> yeah. He torments the cats because he enjoys it. He hates the cats. He has for two years. He drank too much one night, started teasing the lion, and well, that's the night he lost his hand, as now our camera eye pulls back. Lost and indeed, his hand. Yeah, you see, Clydeman, the one-handed lion tamer. Him, says Boston, you know, like gripping his fist, you know, finally confronting who he believes to be the hook, like every other person he meets. There's a lot of people who have hooks. So continued on the second page following. And we turn our page and... Uh, Nice full page, uh, you know, facing ad for uh, an 80 page giant. Remember, we said Nelson mm-hmm. Bridwell was having these up, and this probably would have been one of his favorites because, you know, it's like Superman Family, the Legion of Superheroes spotlight. Um, which, by the way, a little bit of, uh, you know, advertising. Um, we're definitely coming up to a very numerically significant episode. We might be doing a little bit of uh, Magic and the Legion in very short order, just putting that out as a tease. So, okay. lay the little groundwork. Um, but uh, but that's in the future. Let's resume our story here as, uh, you know, we see Boston giving an, an accusing finger at the, at the man he thinks is his killer as uh, as Cleveland continues. Uh, All right, Cleveland, uh, we'll drop the subject for now. I want you to meet me in Miss Lorna's tent after the show this evening. Then we're going to have this out. Cleveland, no, says Boston. Find out where he was a few days ago. Was he in Mexico? Could he be the hook? Could he be my killer? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know Cleveland a little more level headed and thinks uh, you know now we better get those animals calmed down for the parade I'll be in my tent making up as uh, he walks by and we see Tiny lurking in the background thinking you shouldn't ought to do this Mr. Brand Boston wouldn't have liked it he'd want you to be watching out after your little girl um, so an hour later you know we see somebody else lurking in the background as we see you know a, a mysterious hand on the telephone and a mysterious hook in the mm. foreground uh, as our narration says, an hour later, while you're watching your brother put on the finishing touches to his makeup, dead man, a phone conversation's taking place, but you're too far away to hear it. Too bad. We hear a little whisper down the line. They'll find out soon enough you've been tapping the till to pay off your gambling debts. You can't afford to pass up my offer, says the hook. If you do as you're told, I'll bail you out with the dough that you need. Um, don't worry, you'll be in the clear. Feed that line the capsule and set it up like I told you. What's going on? (laughs) It doesn't sound good. uh, Meanwhile, I guess over at uh, you know Cleveland Brand's tent, we see uh, you know Circus Boy Mickey Dolan's come up. (laughs) uh, Excuse me, Mr. Brand, Uh, there's some kind of trouble in the animal tent. Uh, What now? Thinks uh, Cleveland. Animal tent says Boston. You know, passing through the the wall of the tent. Uh, I'm getting too jumpy. As uh, as the pair of dead men, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Boston as the spectral and uh, Cleveland on the ground. Um, go into the lion tent. Uh, Hello, Kliegman, anyone here? Shouts out Cleveland. This is beginning to smell like a setup, says Boston. Hey, what's going on? Says uh, Cleveland as suddenly a cage, I guess, drops from above, you know, locking him in. I knew it, thinks Boston. Someone moved the cage just inside the tent flap, and now my brother Cleve is trapped. Uh, Watch your brother, dead man, says our narration, as his eyes acclimate to the dark. Watch as they widen in terror when he spots these snarling, enraged beasts crouching with hate-filled eyes just a hairbreadth away. The lion, thinks Cleveland, as, uh, you know, the lion starts growling in the foreground. And he shouts out, Clydeman! Clydeman, where the devil are you? And, uh, you know, but before, you know, anybody answers or whatever, you know, the lion, I guess, jumps right for him. 
And, uh, you know, and also jumping right for him is his brother, Boston, mm-hmm. you know, getting thinking, him out. Yeah, saying, um, my training may not save you, Cleve, but it'll definitely improve your chances as he jumps in his brother's body and, you know, jumps out of the way of the, of the lion, you know, the sort of backflip. Uh, that lion seems to be drugged. He's acting crazy. Its coordination is off just a little. Uh, just enough, I hope. Uh, but how much coordination does a lion need to wipe out a dead man? He's getting ready to charge again. Uh, move, move, under and away from those lashing claws, says our narration, again and again. Ah, Claw just got you. Wow, this narration is like re- really getting involved in the story. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Claw just got you, just a scratch, duck and run, look for an opening. There's one now. And apparently he spies an opening. And, uh, and what that opening is, I guess, is the lack of coordination of the lion, which allows Boston to jump on his back and sort of like, you know, wrap his arm around his neck. Like, wow, <laughs> feels like I'm riding a volcano, thinks Boston. I gotta hold on or this guy will rip me apart. Oh, no, he's too wild. I can't hold him. As the lion himself like sort of twists and like slams, you know, Boston's head against the ground. Uh, That's it, dead man, says the narration. Get out of range of those raking claws. Uh, but you can't go any higher. He'll drag you down any moment. As we see, you know, Boston trying to climb the bars mm-hmm. of the cage. Uh, one last chance. Karate. I gotta try it. As he jumps off the cage with a hi-ya and double fists the lion, I guess, right into the, the forehead. As, uh, you know, indeed he knocks him out with a roar. Aw. It seems mean. I feel like I'm looking at like a cat being punched in the eyes. Yeah, I know, but uh, I mean, like, but it's a lion, a drug lion at that, you know. So, mm. um, but and as if to evidence this, you know, like, I think you know Varna shares your feelings because she comes running through the cage, you know, rifle in hand. Brutus, you've hurt him, you monster! Um, but you didn't hurt the lion that much, and he's still in a rage. Says our narration. Do something before it kills her. The gun, the gun. As uh, indeed, I guess Cleveland. Or no, Boston as Cleveland <laughs> grabs the gun that Varna brought in and uh, blam, blam, blam. I'm, I'm assuming this is a tranquilizer gun, not, not like actually a rifle. As uh, the shots were heard, so their narration and help comes. Um, now, as the nurse is ready to take Varna to the hospital, uh, she motions for you to come closer. Oh, apparently the lion must have like... So, I, yeah, I guess so. I, yeah, I think, I think we're missing a bit of action or whatever because like... You know, what possessed, you know, Boston to suddenly try to save Varna? I think what we didn't see is the lion must have taken a swipe at her. Or I guess. Because, uh, you know, we see her here in a stretcher. And uh, and she's like, you know, calling, you know, um, Boston as Cleve closer. And she's like, the hook. He gave me a drug to give to the cat. Oh, she was the one on the other end of the telephone. Um, he gave me a drug to give to the cat. Promise money. Once you did. Don't know why. Kleigman, he... Uh, Passed out, thinks Boston. I'm sure she was going to tell me that Kleigman's the hook. I got to find him now. As, uh, you know, Boston stumbles out of the, uh, you know, tent exiting his brother. Thinks, uh, I'll leave my brother Cleve to get patched up for the big parade. Now let's see if I can dig up Kleigman. <laughs> Cleveland must be so confused. He's like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> I feel dizzy. <laughs> so a short time later, while you search for Kleigman, says uh, narration, the big tent treats the assembled multitude to the sight of the delightful fantasy-filled parade unique to the big top. You see uh, Toby the Clown leading the procession. Really. <laughs> as, uh, as there, on a float, rides your look-alike dead man, straight and tall, a perfect target. He scans the crowd, searching for the hook. Thinks, uh, you know, I guess Cleveland, right? You know, spying the hook, you know, lurking in the corner. There he is. Uh, While you're at the other end of the tent, dead man, says our narration, you miss something. You miss seeing the man who took your place, now chasing your killer. He's going to catch him, dead man. He's getting closer, closer, as we see, indeed, the hook, you know, in shadows, you know, running across the, uh, you know, the big top grounds, you know, through the mud. And there's, like, Cleveland hot on his tail, you know. Clagman, he says, you know, jumping around, you know, Clagman, he grabs him by the, uh, like, knees or whatever, knocks him to the ground, as, uh, you know, Clagman's chin hits the ground, mm-hmm. and it's got a hurt man with a, a spruce, maybe it's the sound spruce. of it, yeah, <laughs> chin being broken, get away from me, says Clagman, get away or I'll, but, uh, you know, uh, Cleveland punches him right in the chin, you'll do nothing, you two-bit assassin, Boston Brand is dead and you killed him, and I want to know why, you tell me, tell me, he says, knocking to the ground, all right, Hook, talk, he says, you know, grabbing, you know, Clydeman by the lapels, and talk fast. I'm not above working you over before the cops get here. Now talk. I'm not the Hook, says Clydeman. I swear it, I never even wore one of these things before today. Look, look, it's just tied on, he says, like pulling out his, uh, you know, Hook and showing him, I guess, some, like, twine around it. Uh, it was the Hook that hired me to mix with the crowd and flash this phony Hook. you, you got to believe me. I swear it's the truth. I swear. 
But why? Oh, that's weird. So, yeah, but why, says uh, Cleveland. What for? He must have wanted you to chase me. He, he must have told you why. Why, says our narration. Oh, the question rings out and drifts across the field and is heard by the man with the rifle, as we see, you know, in the foreground now, the real hook. Uh, and as if on cue, he plays his part, his terrible destiny that has been written for him, with a crack, crack. You know, he fires the rifle and then uh, beats feet, you know, tossing it in a garbage can. As all of a sudden, from the tent, now all the circus people, you know, come running out. Mm. Those shots came out from over there. Hey, there's two guys over there. You know, a big commotion as everybody's, like, clamoring. As uh, narration continues, you've heard the commotion, dead man, and now you streak to the scene. Uh, but the need for speed no longer exists, dead man. As, uh, you know, we see Lorna over the now prostrate body there of, uh, you know, Cleveland. He'd been mm-hmm. just shot by the hook. He's not breathing. Take off his mask quickly. My brother Cleve, no, says dead man. You know, just like flying. Yes, him, says, uh, you know, circus boy. Um, but they pull <laughs> off the mask, and but it's not Cleveland. It's tiny, says uh, Lorna. He took Cleveland's place. Oh, says Cleveland, you know, coming out of the tent, you know, shirtless. Yeah, he slugged me. He must have taken my costume, mask. And now he's dead, says Cleveland. Oh, tiny, you great-hearted fool. As uh, the real dead man just has nothing to say. He just floats to the ground, walks away, falls to his knees, and screams to the heavens. Ah! The end. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> the saga of dead man ramping up. <laughs> so, all right. So that is the end of this story. We're going to sort of leave it on a cliffhanger. Um, but, you know, as promised, uh, I said there was going to be a bit of an editorial transition. And so, you know, we turn the page and we see the newly titled letter page, mm-hmm. Dead Man's Chest. Ooh, right? You know, that, DC. Right. Well, we, yeah. Oh, very good. I didn't even notice that. Um, but I was going to say, we can't use, uh, you know, Dead Letter Office, because as we learned last episode, that's the Inferior 5 letter. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, but on the top, we see a little sort of, you know, typewritten introduction. Uh, hey, friends, says, uh, you know, mystery man, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Dick Giordano, and I'm the new editor of this, as well as several other uh, of your favorite DC comic titles, uh, not to mention some brand new ones still on the drawing board. I wish to take this opportunity to promise you in the coming months... Uh, we'll bring an exciting look, a new direction, and a fresh approach to the pages of this magazine. Our aim, of course, will be to please you, the readers. Your comments will be welcome, your ideas and thoughts greatly appreciated, your constructive criticism taken under consideration. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so stay with us, gang. Uh, the best is yet to come. So the uh, the initial glimmers of the new DC that is about to be, <laughs> say, poetically. Um, so uh, we... Uh, are going to not read the, the entirety of this or whatever, but just, you know, a couple little notes as, you know, Dick Giordano says, uh, you know, goodbye to Jack Miller, uh, mm-hmm. who, until last issue, was the editor of Strange Adventures. Uh, he's a wonderful man, says Dick. Uh, his heart fairly bursts with goodwill. Uh, smiles ready and cordial, outgoing manner, legend. <laughs> he, he's generous to a fault, <laughs> especially with stolen merchandise. Right. <laughs> um, and it was during such a seizure of this generosity that Mr. Miller announced on this page that a quote-unquote liberal amount of Neil Adams' artwork would be awarded to a reader who submitted the best title for this letter page. Uh, to his credit, Mr. M- Miller fully intended to pick the winner himself. He had no notion at the time that the task of selecting a winner would fall to another, perhaps less worthy man. Um, still, I could not help but notice the smug, almost but not quite, gloating smile on Mr. Miller's countenance. Yeah, right. Each day, as the visit from the mailman left my desk buried with mail. Uh, imagine, if you will, my plight, newly arrived, assuming new responsibilities, and there on my desk, an imposing mountain of mail. Uh, not only did I have to read it all, but I also had to select a winner. Oh, whoa. Uh, but have no fear, gentle Whoa. hearts. <laughs> the editor is born of honorable stock. Not even under the threat of death would I consider reneging on the kindly Mr. Miller's offer. And therefore, without further ado, with great pleasure, I hereby present our winner, um, Sylvester Nalarborski from Belleville, Illinois. Uh, his winning title, Dead Man's Chest, uh, graces the top of this page and will as long as Dead Man lives here. Uh, we felt that Sylvester's entry combined all elements considered desirable for a letter column title, a simple but familiar-sounding phrase that delivers the message, including the hero's name, and lends itself to an interesting design. Da 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 da. So here's the runners-up. Ba 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 ba. So congratulations. Uh, your Neil Adams artwork will be on its way just as soon as I figure out how many pages would be considered "quote unquote" liberal. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's see, what else do we got? Uh, bah, 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 bah. Oh, a couple letters. Um, one dude is, you know, saying uh, he's getting tired of these backup features. He wants um, Dead Man to have the entire issue. Mm. And uh, Dick Giordano said, um, "We here at DC are very excited with the seemingly limitless potential of Dead Man with his very talented artist Neil Adams." Uh, our only hang-up has been trying to maintain a high standard of art and storyline on a tight monthly schedule. Um, so for the present, it would be impossible to give the whole book to Dead Man uh, without making a sacrifice in quality. We'd rather do a shorter story and do it right. And by the way, we've changed Dead Man to bi-monthly. So that's what a horrible thing. The kid's like, hey, can you give Dead Man the whole book? And Dick's like, no. no. And in fact, you're only going to get it once every two months. <laughs> um, but the reason being, as I said, you know, is the fact that Neil Adams basically has to do like sometimes I was gonna say way too much I was gonna say triple duty but sometimes quadruple duty right because he's writing drawing inking and at times coloring yeah like uh, that's a lot of stuff or whatever but hey it, you know I think it shows the sort of single vision I you know I, I really like you know these dead man things mm-hmm. um but uh but what about you I said you know we're sort of a, a shorter show tonight you know let me uh, you know waste no time you know that uh, you know is the conclusion of both these stories um, what are your thoughts? How'd you feel about the uh, the Mexican saga of Dead Man? It was good. It was um, in- intriguing overall, and I, I, somehow it seemed to be like a lot more actiony. And I think it's because like Neil Adams was both like you know, especially like in the second story, he was like writing and showing the artwork. And the only thing that I I, I thought was like really missing was uh, what, what you had pointed out was. Uh, uh, the woman who was like apparently attacked by the lion. Yeah, yeah. You know that that was a little strange. Well, that might that might be a comics code thing. <laughs> you know, Neil Adams probably might have wanted to have like a, a nice like taut drama or whatever. But the code's like, you know what? This is a little too violent. A woman being ta- attacked by a wild animal. Yeah, because I mean, that would have had to have been bloody. Yeah, but that's a really good point. I never thought about that. You know, you um, are probably right. The the fact that Neil Adams is now scripting his own action probably gives him a little bit more freedom to, you know, write what's in his mind's eye. Right. You know, he's like, yeah, I want this person to do a backflip or whatever, so I'm going to, like, write the story such that it accommodates that. Yeah, it probably is a, 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 a neat opportunity you know, for somebody. Um, what did you think about the introduction of our, our newest character, you know? Uh, Cleveland? Cleveland Brand. <laughs> is he going to, like, train to be an aerialist? Uh, well, I, I don't I know. I mean, I guess like, he can. Right, but I think the setup of this story was uh, not necessarily that he's going to be there permanently, but that he was trying to lure the hook you know, in, yeah. into the open or whatever by sort of posing as his brother. Yeah, uh, it, it it's okay. I mean, like, it's it's obviously a tool so that you can have, you know, like, Boston or, or Cleveland or whatever you want to call them, you know, like, back in a, a living body, Yeah. you know. But I, I, uh, I was thinking about something this morning. I, I'd never really thought about this in, in great depth until I was prepping for this show. But it's kind of ludicrous, right, that their their names are Boston and Cleveland. Like, mm-hmm. why would you as parents have twin kids and, like, name them after, like, cities? So I was trying to think, like, you know, are there any others that really, like, fit? You know, I was like, oh, Philadelphia, you know, brand. Or, like, you know, like, <laughs> like, like I, don't, I, was, I was thinking actually Cincinnati brand would actually be a kind of a cool name for, like, a pool player or something like that. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I, I thought? And, and this is based upon nothing other than sheer speculation. I think the inspiration for the names... Boston and Cleveland might actually be a sports reference. Okay, hear, hear me out on this. So his name is Boston Brand, right? B-R? Mm-hmm. What's the... Do, you may not even know this. Do you happen to know the name of the Boston hockey team? No. The Boston Bruins, okay? Okay. Bear with me for a second. Cleveland Brand. Do you happen to know the name of the Cleveland football team? Is it the Browns? Cleveland Browns, right? So it sounds ridiculous, right? But Boston Bruins... Cleveland Browns, it's Boston BR, Cleveland BR. I wonder if if maybe maybe intentionally or maybe like subliminally or like subconsciously or whatever, whoever like picked these names was doing so because they sounded right. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it maybe that I mean we'll see like when it turns out that there's a third like they were triplets <laughs> and we come across another one, we'll see what he's named. Yeah, who would the third one be? What's what would you say? Yeah? Uh, El Paso. <laughs> El Paso brand. He's like, like they're Mexican. Like their father was a traveling man. He went to he went south of the border. Like, that's funny. So uh, all right. Well, so I, like I said, this is your segment or whatever for analysis. Um, you know, what are your your overall thoughts on these stories? Do you want to consider each of these two as uh, separate stories or they flow into one another? So I, I think so. Um, good stuff. I, I particularly like the artwork, and I'm, I'm maybe that is because he's writing it now. Although some of it like. Maybe it was advanced for its time, but um, some of it actually looks very 70s 
Like there was uh, one panel where there was a guy in a vest and like his little boots. And that always says like like the boots with like the two inch heels for guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that always like for me says like 70s Texas. Yeah. Well, so you know what? So this is late 60s or whatever, but you're probably right. So you're probably what was contemporary fashion at that time later went mainstream in the 70s, a few years mm-hmm. later or whatever. So, yeah, that's actually probably a good point. All right, so uh, so first story, uh, How Close to Me, My Killer. Um, that's the one, you know, where Boston goes down, finds his brother, you know, involved in the uh, the smuggling operation, you know, for George W. Bush. Um, <laughs> you know, did uh, that story, um, you know, overall judgment? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, the, the bird lives on that one, certainly. On that one. And then uh, and then Fatal Call of Vengeance, you know, Cleveland, you know, hatching his scheme to, to bring the hook out. A lot more dramatic on that one. Um, and so the, the bird's going to live on that one as yeah. well. Yeah, but you know, somebody who didn't live was tiny. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, couldn't he just be injured? Oh, look at you. I think you're beginning to, like, sense well, some, some, some comic book logic. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> it is. But uh, but we're going to leave that on the, uh, the cliffhanger. Like I say, you know, we're uh, not going to be doing some dead man stories um, for a little bit. I think, um, uh, what do we got coming up next? Oh, actually, I know. we're. You know, I, I'm not even going to mention. I, I know what we have coming up next, but I, I'll kind of like leave it as a surprise. I'll, I'll let you know at least that in our next episode, we're actually introducing a brand new character. Something that we haven't oh, seen before. Okay. So that should be kind of cool. Um, any more thoughts on tonight's stories? That's it. No? All right. Um, since we have a little bit uh, extra time, um, something that I've been sort of neglectful on is, uh, you know, giving our, our musical credit. So I just wanted to you backtrack a few episodes and, uh, you know, give credit where credit's due. Um, episode 39 was the um, where we did, uh, you know, the re-edit of all the Zatanna stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I put it in. And so I didn't want to just use one of the songs. Yeah, that's right. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't want to use one of the songs that we had previously used. I kind of wanted to use it. So we used um, Feels Like We Only Go Backwards by uh, Tame Impala, which, um, did we see them one time, like, in concert? Like, one of those, uh, like, festivals, like Bonnaroo or something like that? Not that I recall. No, I could have sworn. I could have sw- Maybe I'm confusing them with, like, Massive Attack or something like that. Oh, don't, but... <laughs> don't confuse anybody with Massive Attack. But, uh, so that was 39. Uh, episode 40, which was the... Um, Teen Titans meet, uh, you know, the Gargoyle was uh, Come As You Are I, by Nirvana, obviously. But uh, Never heard of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I picked that song because I, I thought it was kind of, like, lyrically, it was re- really super appropriate for, like, the way that Robin was, like, stripped bare of, like, mm-hmm. you know, everything and, like, really cut to his core. Um, but then, so I used that by, you know, the, the obviously the, um, you know, the famous version by Nirvana, but then I did a cover for the exit music by this uh, Malaysian artist named uh, Yuna, who uh, I just found while searching the net, and I quite liked it, so I thought I'd throw that in there. Um, let's see, 41 was the Spectre and, uh, you know, Wildcat's Fear of Getting Old, so we kind of did a deep radio head cut with uh, a reminder, basically, about a dude getting old. Right, which yeah. I've never heard of that song, and I thought I had all of Radiohead stuff. <laughs> well, I think I think they only have it live, like, I don't know necessarily that it's an album cover. I have I a lot of their live stuff as well. Yeah. So, and then, uh, and then, so uh, kind of a double entendre for episode 42, um, you know, both the deconstruction of the editorial offices at DC, but then also the fact that we were covering E. Nelson Bridwell from Mad Magazine, I thought uh, kind of a, a neat thing to tie those together would be the theme to the movie, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. That was cute, so, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and then for this one, you know, Dead Man, obviously, you know, back to uh, Maduro, um, this being a song called Inexhaustible Bottle. This is off the original, the Catching Bullets album that mm-hmm. we've been using. A classic. So, all right. So that then is, uh, is all we have for tonight. Um, just real quick, you know, we want to go through our contact info. Sure. Um, so if you enjoyed this episode and would like to find any others like it, you could do so at our website, which is tporpodcast.com. Exactly. Um, you can write to us to give us your feedback at our email address, which is tporpodcast at gmail.com. And you could follow us on Twitter. At, the Twitter. The Twitter. At TPOR Podcast. Uh, or you could also do so at Facebook, which is... Facebook.com backslash TPOR Podcast. Right. And then what else? And then, oh, obviously subscriptions. You could do so at iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or Podcastpedia. Um, so with that in mind, um, that's all we have for tonight. Um, as always, we hope you had a good time. And we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye.